Christ is indeed risen. He is risen indeed. And so we hear this day the word from our Lord from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning in the first verse. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For the trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went then and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever feel like things will never be the same again? You ever face a problem that seems so large you can't even imagine or expect a resolution? We've all been there. Maybe some of us are still there yet today. What do you do when it's Easter and you don't feel like it's Easter? What do you do when it's Easter and you wonder if there's any hope of Easter for you? Or maybe even worse, you wonder if you even need it. Or if it is really there at all. In fact, Gallup reports this week that over half of Americans no longer worship at or belong to any worshiping community. Capturing some of uh, that cultural reality. Ironically, I read in a book about the resurrection uh, a quote by a modern scholar, a devoted secularist and philosopher. He wrote in his 2017 bestseller about a brief history of tomorrow, Yuval Noah Harari. He argued that in ancient times, human beings turned to God or to gods only because 
Uh, did not, we didn't have control over the world in which we lived. But he argues in his book, but we now have that control. We don't need to pray, he says, to gods or gods or to a saint to rescue us. We know quite well our needs, he argues. Remember, this is 2017. We know how to prevent famine or plague and war. And we usually succeed at doing it. And as we come into 2020 and 2021 now, how's that control working out for you? In fact, when you look at the 20th and 21st century, we discover in this modern era the the bloodiest century in human history in the 20th century, and then more human trafficking in the 21st century, some have argued, than ever before. The human heart remains broken. The condition of the world continues to be out of our control. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, did not feel like as they walked to the tomb that day that it was Easter. They went there expecting to find a dead body. They went there expecting to care for their Lord. They went there in fear and in trembling and disappointment and loss. They did not expect to find an empty tomb. Let's talk about that unexpected experience for just a moment. Let me tell you a story about being surprised and not encountering what you expect. In his book, Dangerous Wonder, Michael Iaconelli tells the story about Ron. Ron was a teenager, 17, and his, it's told in the story his parents said that We've lived with him all his 17 years, and yet we can't even recognize him. We don't feel like we even know him anymore. They're experiencing what I kind of describe as the closed door syndrome. All the doors down the hallway were always closed, and sometimes they were slammed. And the tension in their house was thick. It was tangible. You could touch it. The parents did not know what to do to recover, to restore relationship. They were willing to try anything, even a crazy idea that their counselor gave them. They didn't really think it would work, but they'd give it a shot. So one evening, they went to Ron's room. Of course, the door was closed. They knocked on the door. Ron, your mother and I want to talk to you. You come out in the living room right now. They wait. And as he finally, uh, with no little of attitude, makes his way out to the living room, his mom and dad look at him straight in the eye and say, your mother and I are counting to 100, you hide. Now, can you imagine the look on his face? Imagine what he told his friends the next day, what did you do last night? Well, I stayed up till three in the morning playing hide and seek with my parents. The unexpected, the unexpected, it was the unexpected.
unexpected shock of an empty tomb that Mary and Mary and Salome found that morning. So unexpected, they they didn't know what to do with it. It's interesting that the gospel writers would tell us if you were, now remember, if you're trying to make up a story, would you write that the people who are telling it don't yet believe? So unexpected. When Mary and these first evangelists, these women, expected a dead body, they were shocked by what they found. They expected what they were grieving, what they had seen happen in their history, for there had been false messiahs before Jesus, those who had claimed to be the Messiah. And what had happened in all of those false messiahs is they had been killed, almost every one of them, and always their disciples would keep scatter or be killed themselves. This is what they expected. But something was different about Jesus. The tomb was empty. And you don't just have to believe me or even the proclamation of our gospel text today. First century historian Josephus who was working for the Roman government to record the history then writes... Pilate condemned him to be crucified in the dark, talking about Jesus. But those who had become his disciples without, listen to this, abandoning his discipleship, they reported that he appeared three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. And here's the key part. And the tribe that Christians so named after him has not disappeared to this day. Why did they come out of hiding? Why did they not disperse? Three days later, even if you are among us and are a skeptic today and we welcome you here and thank God for you, you have to answer the question that historians have struggled to answer outside the confession of the resurrection, which is why did the church grow so rapidly? Why would folks lay down their lives? Why would they do it for a dead Messiah? It's not plausible. When skeptics or, or modern scholars presuppose maybe, well, maybe, maybe the early church just, they made it up. You got to remember that unexpected moment. It was not just a surprise. It was completely outside the Jewish imagination Either the Messiah would die or most certainly the one who died would he himself be raised again. You say, but didn't Jesus predict it? Yeah, but they never got it. In his 800 page, and I pull it out every Easter to review, 800 page uh, work on the evidence for the resurrection, Cambridge and Oxford scholar N.T. Wright writes about this when he says, any first century historian should recognize that whatever it was that the early Christians were expecting, wanting, hoping, and praying for, this wasn't it. He goes on to write, something had happened. 
Something which was not at all what they expected or hoped for. Something around which they had to reconstruct their lives. Reconstruct their lives. Jesus' life comeback was totally unexpected, but it reconstructed their lives. And friends, it will reconstruct your life and mine. His comeback isn't just an explanation point on the crucifixion. It's a reconstruction of life itself. New York City uh, preacher Timothy Keller in reading Mark 16 noticed that there are three, at least three challenges to those first witnesses to the empty tomb. He said there's a word of challenge for the mind, a word of challenge to the heart by God's grace, and a word of challenge for our mission and purpose. We'll use those three words to help us reflect on the rest of this gospel. You see, Jesus' life comeback is for your mind. The mounting weight of pieces of evidence must be answered. The empty tune we've already discussed, not to mention the first witnesses being women, which in that day and age, as every gospel writer professed that it was women who were the first evangelists, It would have been unheard of in the first century who didn't even, in that society, allow women to testify in court. So the only reason the gospel writers would write that down is if it really happened. Not to mention the fact that that empty tune had been guarded by those who would have to give up their own lives if they lose that which they guard. No reason for them to do that. An empty tune with eyewitnesses first by women. And then, as we hear in Corinthians today, over 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Scores of eyewitnesses. And as one author puts it, when they write the names of those who witnessed it, as we heard in the gospel text today, it was like a first century footnote because these texts we now know were written early. People could have gone to them and said, so so you were there, you saw this? Not to mention, thirdly, the changed lives of the disciples. Why did they come out of hiding? What happened that caused them to move from fear to faith and boldness? The otherwise unexplainable growth of the early church is next. In those first few centuries of the church's life, they were not under easy circumstances. Larry Hurtado, a Historian and scholar writes about this. He says there were no economic, social, or familiar reasons for folks to become Christian. Just the opposite. It actually damaged their relationships in each of those areas. And then finally, the testimony of an adversary becoming an emissary. And I'm talking about the Pharisee Saul whose life would be reconstructed and now we know him as the Apostle Paul. And as we heard, he delivered to us as first importance what he also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, he was 
quoting an early confession of faith. Why would an enemy of God, someone in high standing among his people, do a 180? Now this evidence needs to be considered and reflected upon. And we get life's comeback for our mind. But we also get life's comeback for our heart. Because God's grace is at work in the hope of the resurrection. And the pattern of unexpected, unassuming grace, this isn't something that just began for the Lord in the New Testament. He's been giving us foreshadows of what is to come all the way back from the beginning, let me give you just one example. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Nahum was a commander, a very powerful commander, and he had struck, been stricken with a disease. And his servant girl, who was his servant girl, that because Nahum had killed her parents and brought her into slavery then, observed that Nahum was ill. How very like God to use the least among them to bring about his transformation. How very like God, because this slave girl could have observed that Nahum was suffering and she could have reveled in it. And you and I would have agreed with her. Oh, that evil man, isn't it great that he's getting what he deserves? Instead... Remarkably, this man who was her oppressor and the murderer of her family, she directed him towards a path of healing, saying, you know, there's a prophet in Israel that can help you. Now, not only that, but when Nahum listened to her and went to that prophet, doing what he thought he should do, what you and I think we should do, and he wanted to pay his way. And that prophet said, that's not how God works. I'm not taking your money. But we like to try to prove to God that, that we deserve it. But that's not how God works. And what I think must be a foreshadow of baptism, he's instructed to bathe in the Jordan River. And at first, not unlike us, well, that seems too easy, too indignified. You know, I'm not paying for it myself. Finally, his advisors convinced him, just, just give it a try. And of course, he was made clean. He got what he didn't deserve through the most humblest means. God has been doing that through the centuries, and he fulfills it finally in Christ our Lord. This Jesus of that small tiny town, Nazareth, born in that unassuming manger. His death and resurrection will wash away your sin. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. The resurrection says, like one podcaster put it, she put it this way, when Jesus died and rose again, he paid the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future for God's kids to walk in shame and regret of those sins? No, 
That's to carry a weight that he died to take from you. Doesn't that weight, she says, weigh more, weight more often serve to distance you from God instead of drawing you near him? Doesn't it sound more like the lies of the enemy in your flesh than the words of your loving father who sent his son so that you could be in relationship with him? This is what God has done. Or to quote Martin Luther saying much the same thing, and he famously said, well, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares to you that you deserve death and hell, tell him that I admit it, I do deserve death and hell. What of it? For I, Luther says, know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus the Christ, Son of God. And where he is, I shall be also. Jesus' life comeback by his grace is for your heart. I know between the masks and the shutdown and the death that we've experienced, the depression, the job loss, the broken relationship, you may still be wondering, can life ever really be the same? After all, we know now we're not in control. The wages of sin, the scripture says, is indeed death. We don't have control. Nahum didn't. The philosophers of our day don't. But, that scripture doesn't end there, but the free gift of God in Christ Jesus gives us eternal life. We don't have control, but Christ Jesus proclaims in the resurrection, He does. On Good Friday, Jesus cried out, It is finished and paid your debt. On Easter Sunday, he is regenerating the whole earth and you and me and reconstructing our lives based on what happened that day. And that life's comeback even affects how you live your life day to day, your purpose, your mission. Now, I know sometimes it seems overwhelming, like there's just too much brokenness. What good could I do? But again, just as you don't hold on your shoulders the weight of sin any longer, nor do you hold the weight of the world on your shoulders, you just live out of what God has called you in your daily work to do. Kind of like that boy, maybe you've heard the story, walking down the beach, coming across thousands upon thousands of starfish in low tide that will soon die without the water in the heat of the sun, hitting them. And so he begins to pick one up at a time and throw it back in the ocean, one after another, only to hear from an adult coming near, son, there's too many of them. Can't possibly save them. Kind of stops in his tracks, looks at the starfish in his hands and smiles and says, well, at least I can save this one. That is what God has given for you. You can give one jar of peanut butter to Roadrunner Food Bank. You can share with your children or grandchildren or your neighbor or your friend at school or your best friend or your spouse on text 
even with a meme, you can tell the story of the good news of the gospel with all those around you. That is what God has given you to do. This life's comeback impacts your purpose and mission. The question for us today is will we receive it? Receive the life comeback that God has for our mind and our heart and our mission. This real life event got the disciples, those first disciples out of hiding. It turned their worlds upside down. They came to the unexpected when they came to that real event. I like how one author put it, Christianity doesn't open up with, here's how you have to live. It's, here's what Jesus did for you in history. Will you resist or will you receive? I pray that together we might, you might, I might, all of us might receive this gift of Jesus' life come back. For friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.